Have you noticed? I wonder if you've noticed how um, lockdowns bring out things in people. It brings out things in people like you, like me. You see it on social media. Lockdown brings out certain aspects of us. And one of the things that I want to identify and name is it brings out problems in me. Uh, you've met some of us this morning. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, welcome to Reforming Online. Normally we are Reforming Church. The word church means to gather, but we can't be gathered uh, in, a, in our building now. We call it Reforming House. So there's just five of us here. And as you, you tune in online, you've perhaps met a couple of us. You've met Meg. Uh, she led us in song and read the Bible. You met Ryan as he played, uh, accompanying us in, in music, and he read the Bible. You're meeting me. There's a couple of others here in the music team, the Camerons. Uh, they're both called Cameron. That's coincidental or providential. And we are a team that, that we're grateful for, thankful for. We love one another, but we also know one another. And, and here at Reforming Church, when we can gather again, and we will, when we can gather again, when we all return, as you get to know us and meet with us, you'll know that one of the things we value as a church here is this raw honesty. An honesty that says we're not wanting to be hypocrites here. It's not a hypocrisy. The word hypocrite means actor. We don't want to be actors. We don't want to pretend. There's no pretense. We're just honest. And part of that honesty is, and I'm the pastor, I'm one of the elders here, is that, let me tell you, I've got problems. And more than that, um, I'm a problem. Like, I'm a problem person. Which means problem people are welcome here. And problem people are welcome to tune in. Uh, we exist for problem people like me. We exist for people who are feeling like lockdown has brought out and things in them they didn't know were there. We exist for people with problems. Often, I think, when we think about going to church, and this could happen again after lockdown, we're in regional Victoria in lockdown seven, if you're counting, I think that we feel like after a lockdown especially, we're going back to church and I've got to, I feel like I've got to get it all together again. And lockdowns, if we're honest, they wear us out. They exhaust us. I remember when the first lockdown happened back in March 2020. And I noticed because, you know, I, I walk in pastor circles and church circles, pastor friends, everyone's excited about the technology and, oh, wow, we're going to have people viewing us from around the world and it's going to be wonderful. We're all excited. And I think we just didn't quite grasp or realize this was not an exciting time for many people of the church. It was an exhausting time, a wearying time. And then coming back, after lockdowns is even harder if we feel like we've got to come back and, wow, I'm just ready and zany and excited and perfect and got it all together when that's not necessarily true. It's not honest. It's not honest of me. So I'm going to guess it's not honest of you. We've got problems, friends. I've got problems. You've got problems. We've all got problems and we exist because we need one another and we need one another to point each other to Jesus, who is the solver of our problems. You see, I can't get my life together. That's Jesus' job. And here's something profound. He gives us this gift of prayer to take our problems to him. I, if I'm honest, have been finding lockdown seven, or whatever number it is, just increasingly difficult 
It's increasingly difficult because we just feel like we're just going around, here we go again, again and again and again. And I need prayer. I need your prayer and you need my prayer, but I also need prayer in the sense I need to go and rely on Christ in times when I see the problems just grow. Here's my honesty, and I think this is a really good way for our church to kind of be honest. Um, This is what sums us up. I'm often wrong. I'm constantly weak. But here's the great thing about the welcome of Christ. I'm always welcome. I'm often wrong. I'm constantly weak. And with Christ, I'm always welcome. And with Christ, this church, you're always welcome. You're always welcome to tune in. And when we finish with lockdown, you're always welcome to come. Come with the problems. Come for prayer. And come ready for Christ's return. This letter in, in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, is all about being ready for Christ's return. So at every turn in the letter, this is what the Apostle Paul writes about. And now as we come to this prayer, we come to the center of this letter. And here in the center is this, is this prayer. There's three prayers in 1 Thessalonians. There's one at the beginning, there's one at the end, and there's one in the middle. And this one right in the middle is kind of the, the halfway point between two halves. It's kind of like a half-time pep talk, kind of. You know, if you like your sporting illustrations, analogies. Um, I've been watching lately with Amy. We've been watching, um, it's called Ted Lasso. We're using the kind of free, quickly using the free version of the Apple TV Plus. Ted Lasso's a, a soccer coach who's actually a, an American football coach, become a soccer coach. And I love those kind of shows where the, the, the halftime talk, the pep, pep talk in the middle is just, it's so needed. And sometimes those halftime talks come when there's problems and those problems don't look like they're going away. But it's a reminder of what is our stay. Now, for a sporting team, their stay is we'll live to fight another day, live to play another day. So if you've ever seen Friday Night Lights, um, there's actually someone's taken the coach from Friday Night Lights and played his same phrase again and again and again. I know if you, if you got me, I, I get, you know, it would be something like Russ always saying, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, or two things or three things. I get that. But if we, <laughs> with, uh, with the coach from Friday Night Lights, he's always saying, let me tell you something. 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 And he's doing that at halftime a lot. And he's got to sit down, the people that he loves, and say, let me tell you, this is what we need reminding of today. So when it comes to prayer, we could all say, I knew that. I knew. I know I need to pray. I know I need that. and I know that it's good to pray for these things, but... We need it at half time in this letter. We need it at half time in this lockdown. I wonder, <clears throat> have you thought about why the Apostle Paul writes his prayers out? Like, why do we have this prayer here that we've just read in Scripture? Why do we have many prayers, actually, the Apostle Paul writes out at the start of the letter, at the end of the letter? In many of his letters, he writes his prayers out for people. I wonder... Why is it the Bible has its own prayer book? That's the Psalms. Why is it that as you read the Bible, there are many prayers written out for us? Obviously, it's not because it's not going against Matthew 5 verse 5, Meg read. Paul is not writing his prayers out so that we can all see his impressive prayers. And wow, look how eloquent Paul is in his prayers. I wish I could pray like that, but I could never pray like that, so I won't pray. That's not what he's doing. He's not being a hypocrite. He's not pretending 
He writes his prayers out to show for problem people that he is a problem person, he needs prayer, they need prayer. And as he writes this prayer, do you notice verse 11, we're going to be looking at this in three verses, only three verses in this whole text. In verse 11, his prayer firstly and foremost is for them, for him, that they could be together again. Have a look at verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. We've walked through this letter. We've seen this before. Paul was someone who was only a few weeks in Thessalonica. He was Silas, planted this church. It's a church plant. And then they were kicked out of Thessalonica. They couldn't stay there. They were there for three weekends. Imagine that for a core team start. And after three weekends, Paul has had to go. He uses language in chapter 2, verse 17, of being torn away from them. He couldn't be with them. He says, I desire greatly to be with you. I endeavor to get to you, and he can't. He even says, somehow, we don't know the details, but Satan hindered him. And now Paul, in this prayer, pivots by saying, by asking God that we could be together again. In this pivotal prayer, in the central prayer of this letter, he brings together the first half of the letter, which celebrates how they follow Jesus. And he says, and you know what I want most of all? Is to see you again, to see you following Jesus. I want us to be together. You see, in this life of being apart, often being apart can see us depart from one another in relationship. Distance becomes greater. And Paul recognises that could be a problem. So what he prays is that we would be together again. Notice when Paul prays, often he doesn't pray for, for worldly comfort. He doesn't pray for the sufferings to go. He prays that in the sufferings that they would find the comfort in one another being together. That's his prayer. It's his personal prayer. And this can be our prayer, friends. Ever since March 2020, take your minds back to March 2020, ever since March 2020, my boys, seven-year-old, five-year-old, my boys and I have been praying every night they go to sleep, we pray this. And I have to remind them, the five-year-old says, you know, where says, what are you praying for again tonight, Dad? And I remind him, he says, okay. And, and he usually prays first because he needs to remember what he's praying for. And sometimes he'll forget, what am I praying for again, Dad? And, and, and we pray for every night. But he needs reminding, doesn't he? I need reminding. It's an illustration that I need reminding. What am I praying for again? Anyway, since March 2020, we've been praying that the virus crisis would end. Now, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old have no idea how that might happen. Less than I do. Like, I, I read the news and I get some science and a science degree. I get it. I could, I could see how it might happen. They have no idea how that might happen. But they do know who to go to who does have every idea in the universe how it could happen. God could end the virus crisis and he could end it this week. And so what do we do? We pray. And we pray not just during the crisis. We pray. Do you know why they pray? Because they miss the church. They actually miss you. They miss going to church. They, they get tired of being at just a home. They want to see their church family. And so they pray expectantly. Could we do that? Could we pray like a five-year-old prays, expecting that God hears us, that he will do something, that he would end the virus crisis? 
See, I think one of the temptations for prayer is this. And we look at this prayer that Paul prays and we wonder, well, did he ever get back to see them again? We know he did. But see, sometimes when we pray, we get all grown up and get all jaded and cynical. We don't pray expectantly. We pray in a resigned way. Our prayers look like, oh, well, I guess we should pray for that because, you know, we've been praying it since March 2020. I guess we should pray the same old prayer. You know, people are listening. The kids are listening. Church is listening. I'll pray the same old prayer. I don't really believe that God will do it. Do we pray like that? Do we pray rather in a resigned way when we could pray expectantly? And sometimes we pray expectantly and we get surprised, oh, God actually did that. How about that? We could pray to the one who holds all things in his hands. See, resigned prayer becomes perfunctuary, pretend, and we do it even just to rehearse before others. But real prayer, Jesus says in Matthew 5, real prayer he shows in John 17, real prayer we see in 1 Thessalonians 3 is to go before God and ask for the things we need, knowing he hears us. And knowing that Jesus changes everything. And so we pray for the things we need. And the next verse, the Apostle Paul shows us what we really need. We have many needs, don't we? We have many things that we need, many wants, many desires. Our will be done. But we we see here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul prays for love. Love is what we need. He's been thankful. We look at verse 12 and we connect this, of course, to his previous prayers and what he said. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love, he writes in verse 12, for one another and for all as we do for you. Paul has been thankful for the Thessalonians. And now he prays, knowing your love, that it would increase and abound, that it would overflow. Have you ever tried to contain something that's overflowing? It's like when you get a Coke, you know, and you you go for a picnic and you put the Coke in the picnic bag and it just gets shaken up a bit. And then you open it and you try and make a kind of a delicate etiquette way of doing it, but you can't because it's just foaming everywhere. And you ever try to kind of hold it in, you can't. It's hard to hold in something that's overflowing and abounding. And that's the same with love. And Paul prays for that kind of love for us. It's not a polite kind of love. The language here is fascinating. It's not a polite kind of love out of courtesy. How are you today? I am well today. How are you today? I am well. It is an abounding, increasing, overflowing, I can't hold it in kind of love. That's the kind of love he prays for. Now, why does he pray that? Is it they're lacking in love? Is this a critique? No, it's not a critique. It's, 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 It's asking God for what is common for all people with problems, like Paul, like Thessalonians, like me, like you. We, with our problems, will have a constant increasing need for increasing love. And the wonderful thing about this prayer is that Paul prays expectantly. If you just flick over in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, have a read of verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing in abundantly and the love of every one of you for another is increasing. Notice this. Paul thanks God in his second letter to Thessalonians that his first prayer in First Thessalonians was answered. They, they were increasing in love. They were abounding in love. 
And this is Jesus' prayer in John 17. Jesus prays for his disciples in the room and he prays for his disciples who are not yet in the room, his disciples like you and I. He prays in John 17 that you and I would even be one as he is one with the Father and the Spirit, that we would be one, that we would love one another like the triune God has a deep and abounding and overflowing love. Of all things that Paul could pray for, He could pray for the basic needs of people, of being in in person again, yes, but here he prays that that would be knitted together in love. Now, people could say, and if you're tuning in online, look, the Beatles knew this. This is as old as the Beatles. But it's actually older than the Beatles, it's ancient. And even then, it's different than the kind of love the Beatles sing about. If you're not sure who the Beatles are, by the way, in ancient time there was a band called the Beatles, and uh, they sang... All you need is love. It's hard to whistle when you're cold, isn't it? They used to sing, all you need is love. This love is even more powerful than what's sung in the songs of today. It's a kind of love that comes from knowing you were first loved, especially when you were unlovely. See this? Here's the problem with telling someone to have more love. If you just tell someone you need to love more and and you need to abound in love and you need to increase in love, if I was just to spend 30 minutes here online and me, it's just 30 minutes telling you, hey, church, you need to abound in love, increase in love. Come on, let's be better at love. If I just did that, do you think it would work? I think it would be depressing. I think you would feel like a failure again because I find loving hard sometimes and I'm not very good at it at all times. If I'm just told to love better, love in abundance, love in increasing levels, I'm going to fail at that. And that's just the law anyway. I've heard it said that Christianity, people have said this even recently, to sum up Christianity... Uh, the gospel is to love God and love your neighbour. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. Love God, love your neighbour. It's actually not the gospel. Now, hear this clearly. To love God and love people, that's written on our website. That's, that's, that's a real big part of who we are as Reforming Church. But it's not the gospel, it's a commandment. It comes out of what the gospel enables for us. See, Jesus changes everything as the gospel. Jesus saves us and reshapes us, that's why we're reforming church, so that we can love God and love people and make disciples of Jesus Christ in that commandment and commission. You see, to love God and love others is not the gospel that saves us. It's the law of love. It's the summary of the law. And every time you see that law, which is a good thing to do, we recognize, I fail at it which is why we need the gospel. The gospel is when we didn't love, he loved us. And he loved us by laying his life down for us. Can you imagine recognizing the problems in yourself, even that have come out all the more in lockdown, your frustration, your anger, the way we treat each other on social media, 
that we talk at each other rather than listen to one another. The way that this lockdown, this, this last couple of years has really brought out a, a, a real distance in relationships, a real dissing of other opinions, a real attacking of people. Have you noticed that the way in which that has happened, imagine then telling those people, just love one another more. It's not going to work unless, unless you and I recognize that someone in the mess of that loved me so first. Imagine if someone so loved the world, someone so glorious loved with undeserving grace, even to me who's often a disgrace, if someone so loved me and even prayed for me and gave his life on the cross for me out of love for me, a lavish love, imagine that kind of love if I just knew that's how much I'm loved, even as I'm a problem person, that would actually change me. Meet Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Lord who loves his people. He takes their punishment by a sacrificial death on the cross and he gives you forgiveness of sin with God. He gives you love. He doesn't just give you an instruction manual, love more. It doesn't just stop at the law. Here's the law of love, love God and love others. He says, look, I know you actually fail at that. So he does that perfectly because we can't. And then he comes in and says, now you can. Why? Because I loved you so much. I gave my life for you. And so the final part of Paul's prayer here, which can be our prayer through Christ, is that we would be ready for the same Christ who went to the cross for us. Because he's coming back. And he's coming back to restore all things. We're praying for people. We're praying for you. We're praying for one another that we will be ready for Christ's return. Look at verse 13. So that... He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. We are being readied, even with life in lockdown, God is doing something for us to be ready for Christ's return. And today, that is a reorientation to love. Uh, yesterday, uh, our family, our little family, we took our exercise time <clears throat> and went for a bushwalk. And within our 5K zone, we found some scrub, you know, and we found some ironbark trees and some saplings and some rocks, classic Bendigo forest, and we went for a walk. And Amy said, have you ever done orienteering? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're talking about orienteering and, you know, Maybe one day we could make a little map for the kids and go orienteering and play that sort of thing. It got me thinking about orienteering, orienteering to the map even when you can't see what's over the hill. Even when we can't see exactly what the map, whoever gives it, looks like out of lockdown, we can pray to the one who can. And that can orientate us to love now. Because he loves us. He loves us no matter how problematic we are. 
And he loves us so much that he wants us to be blameless in holiness. Now, we've been in the book of Job, we've seen the Bible, blameless doesn't mean sinless. Blameless are those people who see that with faith in Christ, with all the blame and shame and guilt of our life, has been placed on Christ. Because it is finished by the cross of Christ, you and I can be now blameless. It doesn't mean that we live irresponsibly or live uncontrolled lives and we have self-control. But it, it, it does mean that we can now know, although we've known a life of blame and shame and guilt, we can now know we are blameless if we have faith in Christ. And it means, secondly, we get to grow in holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. Um, holiness has two aspects to it. Uh, it's got uh, a point in time. It's what some theologians call punctilia. I just call it a point in time. So it happens that when you become a Christian, you trust in Christ, you are at that time set apart. You're called a saint, someone who trusts in Christ. Saint is not for the elite Christians, it's for all Christians. The word saint comes the word sanctified, which is where we get the word, the idea of holiness from, set apartness. So we are at one point in time set apart, but we're also, there's another aspect of holiness that grows and it's progressive holiness. So punctilia, point in time holiness, and then from there we grow in our holiness. And it's progressive. And that growth often goes up and down, up and down like this, but it keeps heading towards being more like Christ. And it's a wonderful privilege. The 19th century Presbyterian pastor who famously developed that Bible reading plan called the Murray McShane Bible reading plan, you might be able to guess his name, he's Robert Murray McShane. Robert Murray McShane was a Prezi pastor in the 1800s and, and he um, developed this Bible reading plan because he wanted his people to read the Bible. He wanted them to hear God speak to them. He knew they had many distractions. He knew they had apps on their phones. Actually, they didn't have phones. It's the 19th century. He knew there were other distractions in life. There's always distractions in life. It's not like we're the most distracted society that ever has walked on the face of the earth. He knew this. He knew this for his people. And so he came up with a Bible reading plan. And then he said this, but what my people need most of all from me is not a really excellent Bible reading plan because they've already got the Bible. The plan is just a help. They don't need me to be the best preacher in the world. They don't need me to have the best programs in the world. He said, my people, the flock of God, need most of all, the need from me is my holiness. And what did he mean by that? <coughs> he meant that we, you and I, need from one another to see, to be encouraged by us growing more like Christ. That we need one another our holiness for that encouragement, that readiness for his return. And we get to grow in holiness by his grace, friends. This is Jesus' work in us. And did you notice in John 17, it's Jesus' prayer for us. So go back to John 17 if you want. Hold a finger in 1 Thessalonians. But go back to John 17. And I find it fascinating that, that when John uh, writes this, you've got to remember, this is the night before Jesus is betrayed. This is, this is a, a long... Uh, a monologue Jesus had. He's been talking to his disciples. It's in those kind of 
having a deep, meaningful moment, and then, and then he prays, and he prays for us. And this is what he prays. You pick it up at verse John 17, verse 13. But now I'm coming to you. These things I speak in the world, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. And then notice in verse 17 what Jesus prays for you and me. He prays this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Jesus prays for us to be set apart and to grow like him in holiness, in set-apartness. Do you see? Just before Jesus departs by going to the cross, just before he returns to the Father, he prays that we would have joy, not a kind of a innate, inane smile on our face, pretend kind of joy, like we've got to pretend we've got to hold it all together. Hi, I'm just so joyful. Why aren't you? No. It's a genuine joy, a joy that you can have in sorrow, a joy that you can have in lockdown, a joy in Jesus that says, he's got this and I'm going to grow more like him even in lockdown. Jesus prays it would be sanctified. Friends, there's so much we could be praying for, isn't there? Not bad things, lots of things. But sometimes those lots of things can crowd out the really important things that we could be praying for for one another. And so that we're clear, Paul writes his prayers here, praying for people. Why does Paul write his prayers out here in 1 Thessalonians 3? Why does the Bible have a book of prayers called the Psalms all written out for us? Because not only are we problem people, but we can find prayer a problem. Written prayers in the Bible are so helpful to pray through are so helpful to make our prayers for today. I mean, how many times in lockdown have you had that message from a, a Christian friend, a friend from church, and you've, you've said, <clears throat> I'll pray for you. Well, they'll pray for you, and you'll pray for them. It's, it's a wonderful thing to do, but sometimes it's hard to remember that evening or that day to actually pray for them. And then it's hard to know what to pray for. Perhaps we do pray for the virus crisis to end, a good prayer to pray. But what else could we pray for one another? Paul writes it here so we know and see and pray. We now have an opportunity to pray for increasing love for one another and holiness for one another. When you're not sure what to pray, Jesus says, here's what I prepared earlier. And so as we are in lockdown again, as we find those relationships sometimes strained by distance, we can pray this, friends, and Jesus changes everything as we pray. What about those strained relationships where you just don't feel like speaking to the person? You know, you feel like maybe it's in a brother or sister in the church and you feel like, I'm not talking to that person, I'm holding it against them and and they don't know about it, or maybe they do know about it, but I'm not going to speak to them. And, and maybe even in your problematic frustrations, you've said something like, you know what, I'm just going to pray for them. Maybe. But here's a suggestion, a gentle suggestion. Perhaps you could pick up the phone 
and pray with them. Like how many times have we seen it and, and lockdowns make it harder, we grumble and, and we, we get distant and strained and perhaps it's in our household or it's with people at a distance and, and, and we instead of doing that, instead of having fights, we could have times of prayer together, couldn't we? Perhaps after sorting it all out and talking it all through, what a wonderful thing to do but to pray for one another that we'd increase in love and holiness. What an opportunity. Conflict is always an opportunity for the gospel. Perhaps you could even write your prayers out in a message and share with them. And knowing Jesus changes everything, pray that he would change us and grow us in love and holiness. Love and prayer for one another, love and prayer for all. Friends, could that be our motto? Could that be our mood? Could that be our mode of operation, this lockdown? If you're tuning in and you are checking out Christianity, you're looking into the things of Christ, you're exploring Christ. Love and prayer for all means we pray for you. Seriously, every Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you get the idea, we pray for you. We're asking the one who runs the universe to rescue you from a world of wrong, even your own wrong, and see you blameless. And then one day, come along, meet Reforming Church, meet how we're all wrong, constantly weak, always welcome, and you are too. Love and prayer for one another, friends. Reforming Church, that is a great motto for our memory today. Today, let's remember... Love and prayer for everyone. For our meal times of giving thanks, perhaps tonight or even today at lunchtime, as we give thanks for our food, we could then in that moment take a moment and pray for someone from church. How great for our kids to grow up in that culture of Christ, watching that, to see them grow up like Jesus with love and prayer for people. Praying for love to abound is powerful. Love changes things. Love changes people. Jesus changes people by his love. The most effective way to grow in holiness is to love others and to do that close quarters, personally, learning to forgive, learning to serve, learning to apologize, learning to not be selfish but be selfless. Learning to love is the best way to grow in holiness. Like Jesus, isn't it? What a way to pray for those who have strained relationships to pray even that we'd have stronger relationships. Friends, I'm a problem. But now, because Jesus changes everything, I'm a prayer. I'm a person of problems who, by the love and grace of God, can be now a person of prayer and reforming church. Friends, we can all be this. Let's be this now. Let's pray. And now may our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, may you end this virus crisis and bring us back together. Bind us in love abounding that we would love the lost, that we would be blameless in Christ, that we'd grow in holiness before him, ready for his return. We're looking forward to seeing you again, Jesus.
And so we're asking, in your powerful name, hear our prayer. Amen.